Hello everyone, I'm glad you decided to join me at this moment. Uh, I would like to start this podcast with a brief introduction of myself. I've been a Christian since the age of 15 when I was called to salvation and accepted Christ as my Savior. I have always enjoyed life in the South Alabama area along the Gulf Coast and would not trade it for anything in the world. I've been a Christian for 16 years now and one thing I've learned is that the Lord has never left. The subject of this broadcast will be con- will be the controversial passages in the book of Hebrews in the 6th and 10th chapters, respectively. These passages have, over the centuries, been the cause of much worry and grief for many Christians who have worried over their, who have worried over their salvation. There have been several primary explanations for the meanings of these passages over the years. We will examine these and see what merits each of these has and whether or not it could be the correct uh, explanation. So here we begin with the sixth chapter of Hebrews and I am here reading from the King James Version. Here are the first nine verses. Verse six, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it and bringeth forth herbs to meet, herbs meet for them by whom it is addressed, receiveth blessing from God. Verse 8, But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. Verse 9, But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. I think it is pretty obvious what it is about this passage that causes so much controversy And it is the part that says it is impossible and to renew again unto repentance. The first view that we will look at here is the commonly held belief that this is a reference to Christians who were saved, but through sin became lost. Honestly, this interpretation never came close to satisfying me. And I say this in light of Christ's promises with regards to our being kept by him and because of the experiences of Peter and John Mark. Peter, as it is well known, was the most vocal of the followers of Christ, yet when he felt the heat, he got out of the kitchen, so to speak. He publicly denied Christ three times. Remember, Jesus said, Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter said, Lord, I will not do this, but he did it anyway. And of course, when he realized what he had done, Peter cried bitterly. He ran and wept bitterly. Later on, right before the ascension of Christ back into heaven, we see that 
Peter was clearly never lost because Jesus made it clear that Peter was still a Christian. He was kept by Christ. So that's Peter's story. John Mark went along with Paul on John Mark's first missionary journey. He too felt the pressure and caved. He returned home. So Paul and Barnabas had a dissension, a rift between them. This was how bad Paul felt towards John Mark. He did not want John Mark to come back with him. John Mark had failed him as Paul had seen it, but Barnabas took up for him. And of course, later on, Paul changed his feelings about John Mark, for he said that John Mark was profitable to him for the ministry. So in both cases, these men, in both of these cases, we see that these men had not lost their salvation, but rather had stumbled. By the way, and this is very important, the word which is used for fallen away in this passage is not the word used for apostasy, which is the rejection of Christ. It is parapipto, which means basically to stumble or to fall down. This word is used of Christ when he fell down in the garden. Christ fell down on his face, you know, in prayer. We see in verses 7 and 8 a comparison between two fields, one which produces fruit and the other which is burned because it produces thorns and such. This field is nigh unto cursing. I want to italicize, underline, bold letter this word, nigh unto cursing. Verse 9 has been used to say that the author was convinced of the salvation of his audience. But look at what Paul says precisely here. Is he talking really about salvation? He speaks of things which accompany salvation. Accompany. All capital letters there. Notice he does not simply say salvation, but rather he says things which accompany salvation. He cannot be referring to salvation, but is instead talking about rewards. He is convinced that his readers would press on towards a great heavenly reward. I say rewards because what accompanies salvation? It is the rewards which we can possibly get when we go before God, when we have to answer for our lives as Christians. The second view is that the case in question is a hypothetical scenario that if a person were to fall away, they could not be restored. This interpretation is really dismissed because in the Greek there is no if in the text. So the text should instead read having fallen away. So this is not a hypothetical scenario. Now there are other explanations but they are, in my view, rather insignificant and do not warrant exploration here. So we will now examine what I believe to be the correct interpretation of this passage. This view is regarded as the loss of rewards view. This view is in line more than any other with what the text says and what Christ himself had said previously about the salvation of the believer. 
we know that this is a passage referring to true Christians as supposed by the loss of salvation view. The author mentions at the end of chapter 5 that they need milk. Spiritually dead folks need no milk, they need life. So the fact that they need milk indicates that they're true Christians. The first major thing we note in the sixth chapter is the description of those who have fallen away. This is, this is descriptive of true Christians as evidenced by the apostles' prior statement that they were teachers and needed milk. Again, all capital letters to emphasize this. So yes, they were Christians in the true sense of the word. They had been enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and they had received the Holy Ghost. So yes, again, they are true Christians that are being talked about here. Now, as I stated earlier, the Greek word used here is parapipto, not the word for apostasy. Then we see in the comparison between the different types of fields, the fruitful and unfruitful, the one is blessed and the other is essentially disapproved. That this field is not damned is seen by what the text says, and that the field is not cursed, but nigh into cursing, that its end is to be burned. So what does this mean? If it is not cursed, but is burned, then, then this must mean that the person is a safe person who goes before Christ and their work is burned up. This passage is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It is important to note, I think, that earlier in, the, that earlier in that chapter, Paul mentions that the Christians in the Corinthian church were carnal. In other words, they were saved even though they had not fully yielded to the Spirit in their walk. This is a perfect match for the sixth chapter of Hebrews because Paul was trying to warn them that by being carnal Christians, they would allow sin to take away their rewards in heaven. He's not talking about their salvation. Their salvation is there. It's the foundation of Christ. They're standing on the foundation of Christ. But they were building upon that foundation with the works of the flesh, which is sin. He says they were carnal. So, in the end, I see that the people in question here would be Christians who had nothing to show God when their time came. They go before Christ, and Christ looks at their works and he sees that that's wood, hay, and stubble, and those works are burned. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that such people go before Christ, their work is burned up, but they are saved. They're saved, but as though by fire. I honestly struggled with this passage for years, to be honest, and until finally it dawned on me through the Spirit that the people being talked about were real Christians. Now, the meaning of the text was not fully revealed to me at that time, but it was a start. Uh, the rest of the text kind of fell into place after hearing a sermon by a very well-known preacher by the name of J. Vernon McGee. And it all just seemed to make so much sense in a way that the other, that the other interpretations never did. I just had a piece about it. So, on to the next part of this message here for the 10th now for the 10th chapter of Hebrews 
before we examine verses 26 through 31, we must examine verses 10 and 14 in this same chapter. Using the King, using the King James Version, we see that in verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And in verse 14, we see that for by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. In reference to verse 10, the main thrust of the book prior to this has been the insufficiency of the blood of animals to, t to atone for sin, which was the mosaic system. A person would sin and they would have to go get a perfect lamb or whatever and perform whatever the specific right was for that sacrifice. But these sacrifices were having to constantly be offered. The, the priesthood was always changing because the priest would die, and so it all just kept on going on and on and on. There was no permanent sacrifice for sin. But with the perfect sacrifice of Christ, it was a once-for-all sanctification for those who accept him. When Jesus died, he died a totally perfect, he was a totally perfect sacrifice. He was a man who died perfect. He had never sinned. The sins of all humanity were placed on him, and we were made perfect forever, according to verse 14. And in other words, when you are saved, you are sanctified and perfected in the eyes of God, even though we still sin. That's kind of a subject for another broadcast, but it's there. Now, for the second of these controversial passages, and we must remember that verses 10 and 14 are the key to interpreting this. Verse 26 of chapter 10, For if we sin willfully after that we have, we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a, fear, but a certain fearful, fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that said, that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I honestly believe there is no doubt this is a reference to a rejection of Christ. The people referred to here are called adversaries, so there is no question that they are not of the Christian faith. They are to be consumed by fire, devoured. This passage would be in reference to unbelievers, those who never accepted Christ after receiving the full knowledge of him. I am of the belief that he refers to Christ, by, in other words, by which he was sanctified. And the reason I say this is because looking at verses 10 and 14, we see that the sanctification of the believer is permanent and once for all time. However, verse 30 could be applied to Christians in the same manner that Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians. 
about the work being burned up, about the work being judged and all that. For we do know that the Lord will judge believers not for salvation, but for their works. An important thing which must be realized here, and that that is when Paul says, if we sin, there have been two views I have encountered on this statement which determines the target audience. There are some who understandably think that we means true Christians, while it could also mean Jews. Remember that Paul was what might be called a Jew's Jew. He was Jewish to the utmost, and he still retained, in a very real sense, his Jewish identity, as his his heart ached so very much for his people. He His heart was broken for the Jewish people because they would not accept Christ. He wanted them to be saved, but they would not accept Christ. They wanted Christ to be a political or more military type figure who would drive Rome out and give them an earthly kingdom. But that's not what Jesus was. So he did not fit, because he did not fit their view of what the Messiah should be, they rejected him. So, in light of my belief, this passage is in reference to denial of Christ. The we, in all probability, refers to Jews, and they would be those in the church who had not yet accepted Christ. Folks, it is my, it is my sincere hope that in listening to this you have gained a blessing. These passages of the Word have, for centuries, caused much unnecessary anxiety for the true Christian, and I hope that the Lord has spoken to you while listening to this broadcast.